0: Uh, This evening, we have two readings. uh, The first of which is in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, and this can be found on page 152 of the Church Bibles. The whole commandment that I command you today, you should be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that the man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The second reading is in Matthew, um, starting in chapter 3, verse 16, which is on page 808 of the Church Bibles. And when Jesus was baptised, immediately he went up from the water And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him.
1: Uh, thanks, Ella, for reading for us. Um, my name's Adam. I'm training here at, at Chalmers, and I also lead the undergraduate student ministry at church. Um, I'd also like to welcome you um, to Chalmers this evening. Um, really good to see all of you. Um, I'll be preaching on just that passage in Matthew, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And so please do keep that open in front of you in your Bibles, um, that's page 809 in the Church Bibles. Uh, and before we dive in, let me pray, um, let me ask God for his help. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for giving us the book of Matthew. Your word is precious. It is more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. And as we study it this evening, please, we we behold the glory of your son, Jesus, in it. And we ask that in his name. Amen. Uh, Well, this is week two um, in a new series on Sunday evenings in Matthew's Gospel. Um, I'm personally really glad to be in a gospel and one of the accounts of Jesus' life when he walked on the earth 2,000 years ago. Uh, One of the reasons I'm glad is it will give us a chance to look at Jesus in action. And we'll see how he lived, how he interacted with others, and how he experienced life in this world that we're living in. And if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, there is no better place to start thinking about the Christian faith than with a look at Jesus who is at the heart of all of it. And because what we make of Jesus is the most important question for any of us to consider in life. And but if you are already a follower of Jesus... Um, then there is still immense value in spending time in Matthew. Um, It would be a great thing to come out the other end, um, more uh, deeply trusting Jesus, uh, loving him more, um, and with more cause to rejoice in him. Um, Being more convinced of the claim that kicks off Matthew's gospel in chapter 1, verse 1, that Jesus is the Christ, and he's the king and saviour of the world. In our passage this evening, we'll see Jesus in action as he is uh, tempted and tested privately uh, with no one watching on. Uh, I I think it's fair to say that all of us present uh, the best of ourselves in public, and we try extra hard to be kind and polite towards others when other people are watching. But it's when others can't see what we're doing, or perhaps when we're just with close family, um, that we let down the mask a bit. Um, and the nasty things like our selfishness, our impatience, our lust, our greeds, and our intolerance of others starts to show through. Um, If you've ever been in the car with me um, and you're not a close family member, um, then I promise you, you definitely haven't seen the worst of my road rage. Um, What a different picture you would get of any of us if you compared how we present ourselves in public um, with, say, our internet history or our texts and emails or private conversations. And even our thoughts. Well, Jesus isn't like us, and uh, one of the benefits of reading a gospel is that we'll get to see his consistency played out in history. And um, Jesus didn't play the part of sinless Savior in public, and then let out a sigh of relief when he got home, because he could give up the morally spotless act and um, for a few hours. In our world, so often, seemingly respectable leaders are exposed by something ugly coming to light about their private lives. And tonight, we'll see Jesus being tempted to sin, uh, completely out of the public eye, no one watching on, and yet he maintains complete integrity. And even in private, Jesus always kept himself unstained by sin. And we have just had in Matthew, uh, we looked at this last week, this amazing scene where after Jesus is baptized, the heavens are open to him and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And God's voice announces from heaven, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Um, and you might remember this announcement, it's got two Old Testament references packed in and which teach us about the identity of Jesus. And the first one is from Psalm 2, uh, that's the first bit, this is my son. And the son in Psalm 2 is the king of the world who will inherit all of the nations on the earth. And then the second bit of the quote, with whom I'm well pleased, that identifies Jesus with a character in the book of Isaiah um, called the servants. And through this servant, God said that he would bring salvation and justice to the world. And it will be helpful for us just to remember this declaration um, from from the end of chapter three as of Jesus as King and Servants. Um, as background for what we're going to look at this evening. And of course, we can fully trust God when he opens the skies to declare to the world that Jesus is his servant king. Uh, But this testing episode in chapter four that we'll be looking at tonight is a kindness to give us an extra dose of assurance that Jesus is totally qualified to fulfill the role And we saw last week Jesus comes to the Jordan River to be baptised, not because he had his own sin that needed to be confessed, but because although he was sinless, he was identifying with sinners as the servants in Isaiah who would save his people by dying for their sins. Um, Well, in light of that, we've just seen that last week, it would be a big problem if in Matthew 4, when Jesus is tempted... He was exposed as being a sinner, just like the rest of us. Uh, You'll have picked up in the reading though, that that is not the case. And Jesus passes this test with flying colors. Uh, So let's dive in. The way this passage works um, is there are three tests or temptations. And one of the things that's interesting about this passage um, is uh, the devil is the one doing the tempting. And he wants to make Jesus mess up and sin. Uh, but in that, God has an overarching purpose uh, to test Jesus. Notice that in verse 1. And verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so it's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who just descended on Jesus at his baptism. Um, he is the one who leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tested. And worth saying, that word tempted, um, it can mean either tempted, so in the sense of sort of being egged on to sin, Um, Or it can mean tested in the sense of being proven faithful. Um, And I I take it both are going on here. Uh, God's will to test Jesus, uh, to show up his godly character, on the one hand. And on the other hand, the devil, he wants to trip him up and knock God's plans off course. Um, So this passage is broken up into three tests or temptations. And there's a location change for each one. Um, So, we've got three scenes. Uh, Here's the first one uh, the test in the wilderness. Um, These are all on the the back of the service sheets if you want to follow along. Uh, The first test in the wilderness. Uh, And this one is about uh, God's words versus appetites. Let me read those first few verses again um, from verse one. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by everywhere that comes from the mouth of God. And one thing to get in place uh, at the beginning to help us understand what's going on here is that there is some Old Testament backgrounds um, to this test and actually to all of the tests. Um, And the background is the wilderness generation of Israelites. Um, So in the Old Testament, after God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, um, in in the book of Exodus, Israel wandered in the wilderness um, on the way to the promised lands. This is the generation of Israelites in the books of Exodus up to Deuteronomy. Um, And there are a number of clues in the text that this is the background that Matthew wants us to have in our minds as we read Matthew 4. Um, firstly, there's the location of the testing. And Jesus is in the wilderness, and just like Israel were. Um, but on its own, that one detail is not, not enough. It's not very convincing. Uh, but what's more, um, both were led there by God in order to be tested. And then there's this detail as well that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, that's interesting because Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. And we actually see all of these uh, things summarized in that first reading we had in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Um, let me read that again, and I'll pick up at verse T. Um, no need to turn there again. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, verse T. Um, and as I read, just listen out for all the parallels with Matthew 4. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led ye. So there's God leading um, the people for these 40 years and um, 40 days in the wilderness. And that he might humble ye, testing ye, Jesus has been tested, to know what was in your hearts, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger, the first test, and fed you with manna, which ye did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know, and this is what Jesus quotes, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord's. And this is the passage that Jesus quotes from uh, in verse four. And in fact, in all three of these tests, um, Jesus responds to the devil by quoting scripture. um, And each time he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy um, with lessons that God was trying to teach this wilderness generation on the way to the promised land. And so there is a strong kind of wilderness generation background here. Uh, But so what? what? I mean, what's the point of all of that? Well, the point is that the wilderness generation failed um, in each one of these uh, three areas where Jesus is tested. And that's not to say that they're sort of uh, any worse than any other human beings. It's not that we would have done any better if we were in the same position as they were. And actually they were really privileged. They had God's promises. They had God leading them in the wilderness. They had God's law and Moses to teach them. And yet uh, with all of those privileges, they still failed. And I think that is there to teach us, as all humans, um, even if given these amazing privileges um, from God, um, all humans would fail to obey God and keep his commandments. The point is, Jesus uniquely passes the test that all of us would fail. And so I think in Matthew 4, we are getting a mini rerun of Israel in the wilderness, but with a drastically different result where Israel failed as God's servant to bring blessing to the world. Jesus succeeds. And Deuteronomy 8 told us uh, Israel were hungry uh, and that God fed them with manna, uh, that was bread um, that he sent down from heaven. Uh, and what this whole situation was there to teach Israel, um, it was there to teach them a lesson and that they don't just live on physical feeds, uh, but on every word that comes from God's. In other words, food is important, but to truly live, uh, we need God's words to listen to them and to obey them. Um, But the wilderness generation didn't learn that lesson. You can go back and read, um, but we won't turn there now. You can go back and read Exodus chapter 16, um, where Israel grumble about their hunger. um, And actually, they demand to be taken back to slavery in Egypt. Um, More concerned about their stomachs than hearing and obeying God's words. Um, well, what a contrast to Jesus, he is also hungry in the wilderness. And even more amazing, Jesus has the power to do something about it. Um, he could turn stones into loaves of bread. Uh, later in Matthew, he'll feed 5,000 from five loaves and two fish. Um, he is the creator of the universe. Um, but despite the power, um, he demonstrates that he is committed above all to God's words. And that he has learned the lesson in verse 4 in a way that the wilderness generation really didn't. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Unlike the wilderness generation, Jesus lives by God's words. He listens to them, he obeys them, and he knows that God's word is more important even than food. But I think it's fair also to say that what Satan is tempting Jesus with is is to use his power as the creator to satisfy his own needs. And so I think a part of the lesson that we're to learn as we watch on is that Jesus is able to resist that. He's able to deny himself when he's in discomfort, even though he has the power to do something about it. Um, And let's not forget, Jesus is fully man. Um, Yes, he's fully God, but he is also fully man. He got hungry and and genuinely felt hunger. That wasn't an illusion. Um, And he had fasted for 40 days. Um, Jesus is so devoted to God's word and obeying it that even when it comes into conflict with his own physical desires, he doesn't waver Uh, I mean, just for a second, contrast that to ourselves. Um, So often listening to God and his word falls so far down our priorities list. Um, Often, if we're faced with a choice between obedience to God, uh, God's word and what is easy, um, we choose what's easy. Um, But Jesus is not like that. And I take it part of the point is that this prepares us for what's to come in Matthew. Um, Later, Jesus will hang on a Roman cross, dying in order to save his people. And when he's hanging there in agony, people will taunt him. Uh, And they'll say this, and this is Matthew 27, verse 40. They'll say, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And it's that same expression um, that Satan uses, if you're the son of God. Um, And again, like with turning stones to bread, it's not that Jesus couldn't do that. It's not that he couldn't take himself down from the cross. Put an end to his pain and suffering. Um, But he chooses not to. And because to do that would be to give up on the salvation of his people and the salvation of many of us sitting here um, in this room and um, jesus is showing here in matthew 4 then that he has the characteristics to follow through with his mission as god's servant to save his people all the way to the ends he resists using his power to comfort himself And so he shows himself to be qualified to be the kind of saviour that God's people desperately needs. And so that's uh, our first um, scene, the test in the wilderness. Um, Now we've got a location change. Um, This is the the test on the temple. Um, And the kind of theme of this one is trusting um, versus testing God. And let's pick up reading again, verse 5. Verse five, then the devil took him into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord, your God to the test. And one of the striking things about this temptation is the devil's uh, tactics Jesus has just deflected uh, the devil's first temptation by quoting scripture. And so here Satan has a go at using scripture himself as part of his temptation. Um, Jesus, you like the Bible so much? Well, here's Psalm 91. And this is a psalm about God's protection of those who take refuge in him. And what Satan does is really subtle. And so the words he quotes are accurate. And he doesn't misrepresent the content of the psalm. And what he does instead is he takes the truth of the Son, that God protects those who take refuge in him, and he applies it in a way that God never intended it to be applied. Um, he tells Jesus to test God, God's promise of protection and by putting himself in harm's way in order to force God's hand um, and just notice, I think this is a different tactic than we, we've seen in Satan use before. Um, think of the Garden of Eden, um, the serpent, so the devil twists God's words, and he actually changes what God had said to cause Eve to doubt and question God. And um, here he does get the words right. He just misapplies them in a way that contradicts what God had said elsewhere in his words. In this case, he's contradicting the command, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, Jesus shows himself to be faithful um, in an area where the wilderness generation failed. And that quote in verse seven, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test is from Deuteronomy chapter six. And there, um, there's actually one final bit of that quote in Deuteronomy six, which isn't quoted here. Um, if you're taking notes for later, this is Deuteronomy six, verse 16. Um, you also see that is uh, in the footnotes. Um, this is the verse, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as ye tested him at Massah. That last bit, as ye tested him at Massah, um, that's referring back to an earlier incident um, in the wilderness where Israel are thirsty and they faithlessly test God and demand water. And this is episode, it's recorded in Exodus 17. Uh, and at the end of that episode, we get an explanation of what was going on in the minds of the people in the wilderness. Uh, this is Exodus 17, verse 7. And he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? And so here, um, the point, is the Lord among us or not? The people doubted God's presence with them and God's provision for them. And so they demanded a miraculous provision of water in order to test whether or not God was really with them. And they should have trusted God Um, but they failed to do that. And by stark contrast, Jesus, um, he doesn't need to run a little experiment on God to see if he can be trusted to do what he says he'll do in his words. Instead, Jesus takes God at his words and knows that if God has said something, then it is absolutely sure. As Jesus begins his ministry and heads toward the cross where he'll die to save his people, he doesn't need to kick that ministry off by kicking the tires to see if god is uh, can really be trusted and he is all in with god and his promises and we're not naturally like that and i think it's fair to say um we need quite a lot of evidence before we're willing to really take god at his words and we're slow to trust him for instance when he says he knows what we need as our father or we're hesitant to trust that his gospel is the power for salvation to all who believe, um, and that he will save people from all nations into his kingdom. Uh, If Jesus was slow to trust God, as we so often are, I don't think we could have any confidence that Jesus would make it to the end of his mission. I don't think we'd have any assurance that he would willingly go to the cross to die, knowing that he would rise again, as God had said in his words. And so again, I think we see Jesus proving his credentials to us as the servant king who will save his people. And so that's the second temptation. And for the final one, we move on from the temple to a a very high mountain. And so thirdly and finally, uh, the test on the mountain. And this test raises the stakes um, even further. Uh, The focus of this test is faithfulness versus idolatry. Let's read together again. I'll pick up at verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, "Begone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Uh, we're not taught exactly how Jesus was given this sort of view of all of the kingdoms of the world. Um, there isn't a physical mountain on earth where it's possible to see across the whole world at once. Um, so it's likely this was some sort of vision that Jesus was given. Um, but the details of how that happens aren't really what's important. Um, what is important is that Jesus had the glory of all the nations of the world flashed before him like some sort of uh, enticing advertising campaign all of the wealth and all of the power and all of the splendor of the nations. Um, Satan was saying, all of this could be yours and um, for the small price of worshipping me. Uh, the key thing to notice here is that in Jesus' case, it wouldn't be wrong to want to inherit all of the kingdoms of the earth. Uh, quite the opposite, in fact. Remember the voice from heaven at Jesus' baptism, this is my son, i.e. this is the king from Psalm T, who will inherit all the nations of the world. And Jesus is the king to whom God says, this is from Psalm T, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And this will happen. We see um, that beginning to be fulfilled at the end of Matthew. um, When we get there, Matthew chapter 28, um, where in verse 18, Jesus will say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so don't get this wrong. Jesus... uh, is the king of the the nations. He will inherit the whole earth. And that's not what's wrong here. And what's wrong is the means by which the devil tempts Jesus to grab his inheritance. Verse 9, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. The devil is offering Jesus what is rightfully his, but he's asking him to commit full-blown idolatry in the process. Um, Or you might say he's offering him an alternative route to inheriting the nations of the earth. Because Jesus, as the servant and king promised in the Old Testament, will only inherit the nations after he has died and risen from the dead. And that is the route to glory for Jesus. The devil is tempting him with an easier route, one that doesn't involve suffering and dying, and one that is here for the taking right now and it cannot be overstated how good the news is for us that Jesus didn't take the uh, the devil up on his offer. The salvation of God's people across all time and space is on the line here. If Jesus chooses to swerve the cross, there is no salvation for anyone. And again, it's Deuteronomy Jesus turns to to push back Satan's offer. Ye shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall ye serve. Jesus, again, wonderfully is 100% all in, devoted to God. He won't turn to idols. And again, this is an area where Israel, um, the wilderness generation, and by extension, all humanity, and fail where Jesus succeeds. Um, the wilderness generation, straight after receiving the law, and um, they make themselves a golden calf to worship instead of the God who graciously brought them out of Egypt. And sadly, the, this kind of pattern of idolatry is repeated again and again through the Old Testaments as Israel turned to worship the gods of the nations around them. And as I said, this isn't just Israel. Um, all of us fail to worship the one tree God exclusively as he deserves. All of us have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator. Again, the point is Jesus uniquely stands where every other human being has failed. And so just as we close, I do want to say if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, um, then the claim of Matthew chapter 4 is that Jesus is the only person who ever lived a perfect life. And he's on his own in that category. And all of the rest of us have failed to live the life that God, our creator, requires of us. Lives devoted to him and in obedience to him. And this means I, I do want to say Jesus is absolutely worth listening to and taking seriously. As Matthew unfolds, we'll move towards Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, where he'll save his people. And that is great news for anyone who trusts in him, despite our sin. Um, I'd be really glad to chat with anyone after, afterwards, um, if, if anyone's interested. And as we close, just to kind of pull some of the threads together, um, as we've watched Jesus as God's promised servant king be tested, I think the big lesson to take away is that he is uniquely fit to fulfill his role as servant and king, and that role that that God announced um, at his baptism. He passes each of the three tests convincingly, And firstly, showing his complete commitment to God's word as his priority. Um, And in some ways, this kind of first test underpins the second and the third. Um, In those two, Jesus demonstrates what living by God's word looks like. And that's where he turns to deflect each temptation of the devil. And he shows he, he trusts God even away from the public and that he is utterly devoted to him even away from the public gaze, uh, being taken out on his own into the wilderness. Jesus doesn't give in to sin. He doesn't let his guard down. Um, He truly lived a sinless life. He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And I think all of that sets up that Jesus is qualified for his mission, uh, the mission that will unfold in the Gospel of Matthew, ultimately heading heading to die on the cross to save his people. I know often after a sermon, we want something to go away and do. We want something practical. Um, but I think more often than we'd like, the Bible is about God rather than about just teaching us sort of some moral principles how to live. And later in Matthew, we will, we will hear Jesus um, as our teacher um, as we reach the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. And there'll be lots of practical things about what it looks like to live as one of his people. Um, but this passage is much more about Jesus and what he's like. And so I take it the main response to this passage is to have confidence in Jesus as our Lord and Savior who can withstand temptation to sin. And this means we can trust him and we can absolutely give thanks and rejoice in him. And So let me pray to close. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for Jesus and his sinlessness. We thank you that when he was tempted, he didn't give in to temptation as all of us so often do. We rejoice that this shows that he is completely qualified to be your promised servant and King. He will save his people. We thank you for his obedience, even to death on a cross. And we thank you that many of us here sitting in this room have benefited from that. Father, please help us to appreciate Jesus, our Savior, more and to have confidence in him. We ask this in his name. Amen.